Today, we begin the process to deliver justice for Laquan, and we continue the fight to end racist policing and to deliver justice for every child, for every working person in the city of Chicago. We will win. From WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune, this is 16 Shots, the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. I'm Jen White. Jason Van Dyke, a white Chicago officer, is charged with murder for killing black teenager Laquan McDonald in 2014. Today was the first day of Van Dyke's criminal trial, and it drew a crowd. We are here to lift up Laquan McDonald and people like Laquan McDonald. Hundreds of protesters gathered across the street from the main criminal courthouse in Chicago. They chanted, gave speeches, and held signs, some with Van Dyke's mugshot and the words, guilty of racist murder, written over his face. WBEZ's Patrick Smith was out there today. Patrick, describe the scene for us. Yeah, so so everybody was gathered in this big grassy area that's kind of like a really big median across the street from the courthouse. It's more than half a city block, and it was fenced off. The city had actually put up temporary fencing on one side to keep to keep this area contained. That fencing was guarded by by police officers. I counted about 25, maybe more than that, sort of guarding the fence. There were a bunch of different groups out in this grassy area. You know, I got there about a quarter to nine, so before court started, and it was really loud, boisterous. It's kind of tough because people are moving around and and coming and going, but I counted more than 200 people there, you know, before 9 a.m. that morning. It was also really hot today, high 80s. This area, there's like no trees. Uh, at one point, almost everybody who was in the sort of penned in area, they migrated to this like thin ribbon of shade along the fence just to sort of beat the heat. So I'm there, I'm talking to people, you know, asking them why they're there, that sort of thing. And I met these two older black women who were there together. Um, and they both had sons who were locked up in prison for crimes that they say they did not commit. They, they put the murder on him and they sentenced him 71 years in prison. He has been in prison 27 years. It'll be 28 years on the 3rd of October. He was tortured into signing a a confession for two crimes that he did not commit. Patrick, who are we hearing there? So the first woman you heard was Rosemary Cade. You've got a shirt on here that says Justice for Antonio Porter. Tell me about him. My son, he's a very loving person, big person. Her son is Antonio Porter, and actually the Tribune wrote this big piece about him earlier this year. Recent DNA tests have cast doubt on his conviction. The second woman was Armanda Shackelfort. Her son is Gerald Reed. Uh, Reed claims that he was tortured into a false confession by Chicago police detectives working under Commander John Burge. People who have been listening to this podcast or really know Chicago history at all know the name John Burge. He oversaw the torture of more than 100 people. And the state of Illinois' torture commission has actually concluded that Reed, um, Armanda Shackelford's son, was in fact tortured by Chicago police under Burge. Um, What they found basically was that a detective kicked Reed in his leg where he had an old injury. He actually was shot like decades earlier. And they kicked him over and over and over again until a metal rod that was in his leg broke. And then Reed signed a confession admitting to a double murder. He kept saying that he did not commit him. But they say he did. So they tortured him. They beat him so bad 
Shackelford and Cade actually met when they were visiting their sons at Stateville Prison like 15 years ago. They ended up becoming carpool buddies. They would they would go down from Chicago down to the prison together, and they came to today's protest together. We need results done because too much has this been going on, and it's been going on for years, and nothing has been done about it. Right after we were done talking, uh, Cade got a call from her son, Antonio Porter, who's in Stateville Prison, and then she put me on the phone with him. So uh, you're, you're calling from Stateville right now? Yes, I am. So the audio quality is really bad because it's someone calling from a prison phone over a cell phone speaker into a mic at a loud protest. But Porter told me he's gotten to know Shackelford's son, Reed, inside the prison since their two moms met. And he told me he's really proud of his mom for being at the protest. The Van Dyke trial do mean a lot Porter said the Van Dyke trial means everything to him because he says if Officer Van Dyke is convicted, it will give him hope for justice and that police wrongs can be righted. So I think the story of, of these two men and their moms at this rally together gives a real sense of how this trial for many people, it's not just about Officer Van Dyke and Laquan McDonald, it's about policing in Chicago and race and the American criminal justice system. So that was the scene outside. WBEZ's Shannon Heffernan was inside the courtroom where jurors were being led in. Shannon, what was it like inside the courtroom this morning for the first official day of the trial? Well, Jason Van Dyke was there as he's been for every hearing, along with his father, who's accompanied him most days. Um, He was also accompanied by a few people who appeared to be police officers. The thing that was interesting about today, though, was Laquan's family was also there. His mom was here. Um, The only time we've seen that before is the day that she was actually called into court. Um, There were about uh, a couple dozen family members who showed up, but only about eight of them made it into the courtroom. Um, At one point, one of them sounded like they began to cry and left. Um, At another point, one of them was asked to leave because they had a T-shirt on that said Van Dyke question mark murder. Um, She left and she came back with a sweater covering up her t-shirt. That t-shirt would have been against the decorum order, which prohibits there being anything that could appear to be an act of protest t-shirt or a sign or something like that. So clearly it was a pretty emotional day. Yeah, you have to keep in mind this has been four years for them since the shooting. So it's something you can imagine that they might have been waiting for for a long time. Uh, Reverend Hunter, he's been the spokesperson for the family. He's Laquan's uncle, uh, told one of our reporters that more of the family had hoped to make it in. And they were really disappointed that they had not been able to be in the courtroom and that they felt disrespected by that. I imagine with the case this high profile, that security is probably tighter than it would be for a different murder case. What's it like trying to get into the courtroom and how many people are trying to get in? So I was able to get in fairly quickly today, but there were a lot more guards than usual. Um, Today, there was not very much room left in the courtroom for public spectators. So that might have been why it was a little bit less crowded and a little bit quicker to get in. Um, Most of the courtroom space was reserved instead for potential jurors to uh, be able to take a seat. In fact, at one point, there were so many jurors in the courtroom that some of them had to stand. So it was a very crowded courtroom, just not many spectators there. But once we're past the jury selection process, there may be more room for the public is what it sounds like. 
definitely. So once they um, sit a jury, if they do sit a jury, um, they will be up in the juror's box. And so that will leave more room for the public and the press to observe. So two groups of about 100 jurors were led into the courtroom. What did the judge say to them? Well, the judge walked them through some basic instructions, like don't talk to anybody about this case. You have to remember this is a very high-profile case, and the judge wants to protect them from being influenced by anybody. He also made it very clear to them that they shouldn't be talking to the media at all. And he stressed the importance of their duties. He said, this is the only thing that the government can draft you to do. So that emphasizes the importance of this service to your country. Um, He also read all the charges to them. There's a lot of charges, and it took him 11 minutes to read it. And you can sort of see the faces on the jurors as he was reading these charges, and it began to dawn on them um, what trial they were sitting in on. Um, One woman raised her hand to her mouth in surprise. Um, I saw a couple of other jurors shaking their heads and, and looking at each other. So until they were led into that courtroom, these people didn't know what trial they were being called to to sit on. I don't know that for sure. We were just watching their reactions. But it did seem that we saw some jurors who seemed to be taken aback. I'm not sure if that's just from hearing the charges read out loud or if it's because the first time that they were realizing what trial they were sitting on. I would imagine just because of the tightness of the security, some of them might have had an idea beforehand. So we know they were all issued a questionnaire. What do we know about what's on that questionnaire? We don't know anything. That questionnaire is under seal. Um, The jurors were given that questionnaire in a separate room um, and told to fill it out. We know that they were instructed that they could not receive any help in filling it out except for asking just very technical questions about the questionnaire. So what comes next for these potential jurors? So starting next week, they will be called in for live questioning um, from the lawyers. They'll be able to ask them questions about their personal lives, questions about their perspectives, questions about what they know about the trial. So we're expecting that to start next week. Outside the courthouse today, by 11.30, the number of protesters was starting to dwindle. Protest organizer Will Calloway decided to send people home. We're asking people to um, come back and convene the day uh, that the jury is requested back, which we all believe is Monday, Monday morning, and every day after that. Because we understand that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Jury selection continues tomorrow, though it may be slow with the attorneys going through questionnaires filled out by 200 prospective jurors. And there are several other issues that still need to be resolved. Prosecutors are asking that Van Dyke be jailed during the trial because of the interviews he gave last week to the Chicago Tribune and WBEZ and later a TV station. Further down the road, Van Dyke has to decide if he's going to take a jury trial or a bench trial, which would leave the verdict up to the judge. And the judge is still considering Van Dyke's request to move the trial. His attorneys have argued they won't be able to find an unbiased jury in Cook County, given all the publicity. Van Dyke's team renewed that argument today, saying the 200 prospective jurors had to walk by a protest calling for Van Dyke's conviction. The judge denied their request to strike all the jurors. He said potential bias will come out when they're questioned face-to-face next week. We'll be watching all these stories and more, and whenever there are important developments, we'll drop a new episode. So subscribe now if you haven't already. Sixteen Shots is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune. You can find out more about the case at wbez.org slash 16shots.
Now, more than ever, facts matter. That's why the journalists at the Chicago Tribune are committed to quality journalism, relentlessly pursuing the truth and providing you with the stories that impact your community as well as your daily life. Get fact-based journalism and support the future of investigative reporting like 16 Shots by subscribing to the Chicago Tribune today. Visit chicagotribune.com slash 16 shots for a special subscription offer just for listeners of this podcast.